So here's the question. In the print and packaging supply chain, how do we deliver new ideas and innovative practices to continually improve your profit, your brand, and your quality? Welcome to the Gamut Podcast, and I am your host, Jeff Collins, Director of Print Technologies for ID Alliance. We are a nonprofit global think tank serving the graphic communications industry with 12 offices strategically located around the world to better support our membership. You can support the Gamut Podcast and content like this by becoming a member at ID Alliance by going to www.idalliance.org. I would also like to thank Konica Minolta for sponsoring this podcast. They are a world leader in industrial and commercial printing and packaging solutions. With a comprehensive portfolio of production print offerings, Konica Minolta delivers the latest innovations in printing, applications, and expertise. On today's podcast, we have Bruce Bain, founder of Alder Technologies, and he is a print industry veteran of over 25 years. Bruce is also the developer of Spot On, a popular statistical process control application that includes easy-to-use features and dashboards for G7 press calibrations and validation, press make-ready, quality control, and also includes AI capabilities, forget this, predicting ink densities to match color metric aims and standards like ISO 12647-2 and ISO PASS 15339, which is a series of G7-based specifications and data sets. He has a deep passion for improving process control and print manufacturing and is regarded throughout the world as a leading color expert He has served large brands and ad agencies, commercial printers, wide format shops, packaging suppliers, what else, photographers and designers, all in the area of color management and quality control. Bruce is also a leading contributor of ID Alliance's Print Properties Committee, a global think tank for quality improvements, standards, specifications, and leading practices. So we are very excited to speak with him today. Hey, Bruce, thanks so much for joining us on the Gamut Podcast. So you've been a leading advocate and developer of process control solutions like Spot On, including education and integration, leading practices in the area of quality control and color management for both offset and digital, I'm sure, other technologies. So, So let's talk about process control and your experience and advice in this critical area of print manufacturing. Yeah, and, and and that seems to be the the conversation around process control is 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 almost the, I mean it, it's it's the glue that puts it all together. I guess it's 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 a it's it's the part that everybody has to get first before they before they uh, b- before they can be successful at carrying through that process. And that's where I get into this um, possibly almost even a rant about uh, process control and the printing industry are almost like oil and water. They, they, they just don't seem to want to go hand in hand. And I, 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 I try to start conversations with people about that. I've created some anecdotes like, uh, you know, just because the road's straight, can you close your eyes? And of course, the answer is always no, and everybody knows they chuckle and go, no, of course I can't close my eyes. Well, it's a variable process. Driving a car is a variable process, and the car's ability to stay in the lane is variable also, so you've got to pay attention to it. And no printing device is going to stay in the lane, so to speak, either. So I, I, I always try to approach it from a way where we can talk about things that we use in our everyday lives so they can sort of get the corollary between, oh, 
I get it. The printing device is, 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 is like a car, and if you don't pay attention to it, you have no idea where it's going to wind up. That sounds simple to me. Like, yeah, and if you want to wind up in a ditch, that's fine with me, but I don't think most people do. And, and I always say, well, then why are you running your business that way? Right. Because you've got, you've got these printing devices, whether they're offset, uh, digital, uh, you know, wide format, any kind of printing device. And, and I think, at least from the offset world, I think a lot of it stemmed from the fact that commercial printing really started as a craft many years ago. And you got good at it by repeating and doing stuff and learning what the master, uh, you know, your, your boss was doing or whatever. And you carried on that tradition of, uh, you know, you might as well have been doing uh, copper smithing or something or, or, or making wheels or something, you know, but, but, but you were doing printing and, and then the, the digital age came along and, and uh, that's pretty much all changed. And the kind of work we do and the amount of work we do uh, has, has changed also. Very rarely do you have press runs that are very long. In fact, the digital world is all about short run stuff. So when you're, when you're dealing with stuff in that arena of, you know, just in time, short run, run work, you wind up needing to control the process a little bit more or you don't care anything about it and you just push the button and you get what you get. And, and so I, I, I approach the entire process of, of controlling color, consistency, quality control, and such, by examining and talking to people about you need to really pay attention to managing the process, which means taking measurements on, of, of control strips and then evaluating the data in whatever software program you happen to be using, or if you don't have one, you need to get one, to be able to, um, uh, to track the performance of the device and then find out, okay, here's where, I, here's where it's going out of spec. Let's bring it back into spec. And then you have to come up with the tools and the, and the where for all to bring it back into spec. And once you start doing that, it becomes just, it becomes part of the routine. It's really a culture change for the, uh, for the organization. So um, process control is about changing the culture because it's not going to naturally happen. What do you think the obstacles are to people understanding that they do need to change the culture? Um, is it uh, a skill set thing? Is it just you know sheer ignorance? Uh, they just have never done this before, and they have you know habits that are based on what how they've been doing business for the last ten twenty years, and that's you know sufficient. A little bit of all of the above, uh, and I, it, that's a good question from a standpoint of, okay, so uh, trying to identify what impedes process control from taking over and consuming the com company to where they would never think about doing anything without process control steps in place. And, and I look at it as, as multifaceted. Yes, there's an education part of it. Uh, they either A, don't know how to do it and need to be taught, which is relatively simple. Uh, B, they don't get the fact that the printing devices actually do vary. And so they don't know that there's a need, even though they're complaining about problems. You know, well, we printed this job last month and now we're trying to reprint the same job. And it, it's taken us all day just to tweak the file until we get close enough to where, excuse me, where the right. customer will, will, will accept the job coming off the back end. But they don't equate it with, um, with, gee, if I could manage the process a little bit better, maybe I wouldn't have to go through these hoops every time somebody brings a job back to be reprinted three months, two months, six months, you know, six months down the road. So it's, it's, uh, there's a little bit of that from a, from a oh, I get it, uh, Six Sigma or, or ISO 9001 or something along those lines, because that, those, those terms haven't been real prevalent in our industry, where they've been really prevalent in, in any 
any company or industry that wants continuous improvement and wants to, um, you know, uh, assembly line stuff, you know, building cars, building iPods or whatever, uh, uh, cell phones and stuff. They don't come off the assembly line working by accident. They have, they have steps in place to help make sure that what comes off the assembly line is actually going to work. And, uh, and, and, and along that same line, if you, if you look at it from a standpoint of, of offset printers, the commercial offset world has been doing process control, at least the pressmen have for many years. And it started out by using eyeballs. And then, and then the next step was using a handheld spectrophotometer or a densitometer originally. Right. And then, and then it went to the scanning spectros and, and then the latest generation of it is inline. So you don't even have to pull any sheets, but the progression has been continuously on keep the process under control because Everybody in the printing industry recognizes that an offset press is highly variable, and the likelihood that it's going to stay on track if the operator <laughs> walks away from it and doesn't pull any sheets is, is pretty low. It, it's not going to happen. So there's no printer, I don't think, on the planet that would basically tell their operators to stop pulling press sheets. Right, yeah. And, and just, just start at the beginning, and 5,000 sheets, 10,000 sheets later – finish the job, shut it off, and, and send it off to the bindery to get, uh, to get the bindery work done on it. And, and it's like, look at the first sheet and look at the last sheet, and they'll be wildly different. Process control is well entrenched, very much a part of the culture when it comes to a press operator, you know, a, a analog, you know, offset press operator. Some of the other printing industries, obviously, they, they take a look at stuff and do some of that stuff too. But offsets seems to be a little bit more variable. That's why they have ink keys and, and all that stuff. Right. So a little, a little bit more variable that way than, than Flexo or Gravier where there's no ink keys. So it's a culture change that could happen, that has to happen. It's just a matter of getting people, um, getting the right story or getting enough word out to people like we're doing here today and, and, and you're doing with this whole, uh, this whole program to uh, get people to understand that you've got to look at it in a slightly different way. And you know, tr find, trying to find the ways to get people's light bulbs, you know, the, oh, I got it, light bulb to go on. If it's the right people, then it's going to be, it's, it's going to start to get ingrained. And ideally, the right people are the people at the top of the chain. To sustain it long term. And I know, you know, in the other industries that apply continual improvement and Six Sigma and Lean as just that's the way that they they have to do business, right? Where they've seen, they've been, they've been at it for years. I mean, this go, we can go back all the way to Ford and Deming and Japan, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But where, where we're getting is that here we are in 2019. This is not a proof of concept. This is being done <laughs> daily. It, you almost feel like you have to, in the printing industry, you have to convince leadership, look at these different companies that apply. Let's look, look at Toyota, um, look at Ford, look at, uh, you know, there's so many examples that prove that this is the right uh, change to make. Uh, there's just too many success stories out there to deny that. It's empirical data on top of it. Yet I have sometimes a, uh, a challenge getting a uh, owner to invest in software or hardware, and it's to, when you look at the big picture. When you're talking about a million dollar press sale, and yet they, you know, they want to improve their quality. They want to improve the economics of producing the products. So they, you know, buy into, a, you know, a large capital equipment purchase that has all the automation and everything. Yet they don't have the fundamentals and the tools and the skill set to measure and monitor it. You know, get a light booth. Uh, pick a standard or specification. 
that you target that makes sense for for your market and your solutions. Yeah, no, I, I look at it more realistic rather than pessimistic because I, I get pegged as being pessimistic too a lot. And it's more from a standpoint of, no, I'm out there in the world and this is what I see happening to me or to other people or whatever. You know, this is the reality of what's going on. You can always paint rosy pictures. You can always wish for something to be different. But if it's the way it is, then then it goes back to that adage, you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. And I, I, I choose, at least in this arena, to, to try to be part of the solution and, and, and keep us moving forward. I was I was in a class once uh, at, at, at Clemson uh, that, that a group of us were taking uh, on, on flexo printing. And the, the instructor that was standing in front of the class said, you can't have color management without process control. That's absolutely and, and, right. I think people uh, convolute the two terms as well, or they're not very clear as to how each one of these fit into the manufacturing yeah. process. But I'll let you continue. Yeah, no, and, 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 and to take that a step further, what he was really referring to in that regard was ICC color management. So if think about and understand what an ICC profile is, it's, it's basically a, a, a record of how something printed or how an image, how, how an imaging device like a camera captures or how a monitor displays color. And uh, so if you take an ICC profile of some printing device, name it, doesn't matter what it is, some printing device, and you say, okay, this is how my device prints. Yeah, right, that second. How's it going to print next week? How's it going to print next month? How's it going to print an hour from now? If you aren't managing the process, if you aren't studying it from a standpoint of taking other measurements over time to see if it's drifting or changing and then taking action to fix it, your ICC profile has absolutely no value. And it always, it always tickles me when somebody tells me, hey, I have this printer I'm using and I got this ICC profile from them and they want me to use that ICC profile. And it's like, okay, so I look at the date on the profile. It's like five years old. Right. <laughs> What's the likelihood that profile represents anything in that print shop? Well, we Almost have, zero, absolutely zero. <laughs> well, Idea Alliance still has a huge opportunity to continually educate and provide insight into situations like that because they're all too common. I, uh, I'm sure that you've seen where, and this is, you know, coming back to process control, where very, very expensive devices are implemented. Uh, these profiles are, are used within the workflow. They still don't have press-to-press match or, you know, inkjet to offset match. Obviously, there's different characteristics there, but we're try- we're shooting for, you know, a similar visual appearance, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you mm-hmm. ask anybody, would you like to be able to print the same color on all your devices and not have them come out differently? But the point being, you know, they're, they're not going to say no to that, right? There's a huge, they, yeah. It's obvious what the advantage is. You go in, I'm not talking small shops, I'm talking large printers as well, yet are not doing validation. The only part of validation that I see happening is out on the offset gear where somebody's scanning mm-hmm. in a color bar and they're looking to make sure that their uh, densities are even across the ink keys, right? Or across sure. the cylinder. Yeah. And, 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 and that's about as deep as they go. Yeah. And, and, and so I was getting to say that. You've got the tip of the iceberg and, and what was underwater sunk the Titanic. And, so, right, so right. They're not even it, looking it, at dot. I mean, you, right. Yeah. They may, they're not looking at gray balance. They're not looking at dot gain. They're getting that and they're running it. And, and hey, great on you if you can sell that work all day and you have to do a minimal amount of uh, uh, process control, right? I mean, if you can do mm-hmm. that and sell your work and your customers are happy, wonderful. Like you said, it's the tip of the iceberg, right? Do they yeah. 
are you lucky if they're evaluating what their uh, TVI is or their gray balance? Yeah, that's that's even luckier, <laughs> right? I hate to laugh, but it's it's the truth, you know. The but in digital, okay, you go into the digital apartments, or if they're all digital, nobody's doing any evaluation, or excuse me, a, a validation that it's yeah. actually hitting a specification that is right there in the workflow when you go to the color management settings. Right? It says exactly, Grackle exactly. two thousand six. How the hell do you know it's hitting Grackle two thousand six? Do you even know what that means? And. Uh, <laughs> You're printing on a couple different digital presses. They're all set to target Grackle, yet they all look extremely different. Why is that? Bruce, do they match? No. No. Well, and, 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 and I was just at a shop the other day, too, where it's a, it's a large shop. It's an offset shop. They, had, uh, they have a digital department, uh, multiple digital uh, printing devices on cut sheet, of course. And, then, and then, they have, uh, then they have a grand format department that's slowly been growing over the years and seems to be getting more of the attention because it seems to be the area where there's a lot of action and a lot of things are going on. And the company's growing in that area rather rapidly. Yeah, they, they brought out, and my goal for the third or fourth time in there is to go in and teach them process control and how to get up to speed, up, you know, up to speed and deal with some of the pain that they're having. And they brought out an example of pain. They had a job that was spec to go on offset, digital, and large format. And it might have even been going on two different large format, like uh, uh, roll to roll and then also uh, uh, rigid, rigid uh, board. And I don't remember that for sure, but still, same difference, it, it, different devices. And they, they spread out all the, all the printed samples. And what it was, was a, it was a tint of blue that was a spot color with transparency on it. So it was printing over the top of some black artwork. So it gave it a, you know, a, a, a fake duotone kind of a thing where it was just this dark tint of blue over black. And you could see the black shape, you know, you know behind it and stuff. And... Uh, and of course, every device looked completely different. And that's part and parcel to where the pain comes in. There are plenty of shops out there that never experience that kind of pain, never print anything twice, don't have more than one printing device printing anything. Um, they might have multiple devices, but they never gang up jobs on multiple devices. And, and so they never run into these kind of pains right. of, of you know repeat work, of, of trying to get, you know, four printing devices to match because they need all four devices to get the job out on time and, 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 and that kind of thing. So, so I'm, I'm looking at these, this job and I go, well, the first question that always comes to my mind when we're dealing with color is the file. You got to start with the right file. And the, as soon as they said transparent spot color, I went, oh, all the rips are going to do something slightly different. And if you've got three or four rips in-house, the likelihood that they're all going to do the exact same thing to the exact same file is kind of low. So you're starting and up so, front, you know, in the G7 expert training, we talk about all things G7, and there is some time mm -hmm. to talk about how to correctly prepare a file. But we have all these different rips. So I take the same file and I pass it through. And let's just say I'm, you know, on top of my game, right, as a pre-press manager. Mm -hmm. And I know yep. that I have all APPE rips. They're all using the same, they're, they're all at the, their, their current level of APPE because I could have one at 5.0. One hasn't been updated, you know, maybe in a couple mm -hmm. of years. So they're at a different level. And then you go in and you find out that there's different settings 
transferred maybe overprint or whatever. So what do mm-hmm. you how do you address aligning rips so that you can validate whether or not they're separating the files similarly and and more importantly ascertaining which ones have weak spots? Uh, those, are, those are good points. In fact, bringing up the APPE, the Adobe uh, PDF print engine, is a good point because even the current version of all rips out there that have, uh, you know, that have bought into Adobe's uh, Adobe print engine, uh, PDF print engine, don't necessarily have the most current version. Even though you might be on the latest version of the rip software, they might be a generation behind Adobe uh, with the um, with the upgrade and stuff. So, so there's, there's a lot of things that can get in the way of consistency. The ideal way to do it, if possible, it's not always possible, but the ideal way to do it is have one rip (laughs) or multiple (laughs) copies of the same rip. So everything's set up exactly the same. Or maybe a central color management hub that, you know, Yep, yep. Yeah, that would be the other way off. to go is to turn off right. turn off color management in the rips and use a an independent impartial <laughs> solution for um uh, for doing all of your color management, and then you just dump, dump it down to the rip, and all the rip does is rasterize it for the given output device and apply, you know, linearization, incrementing, or whatever right. what have you in that regard. And yeah. there's a lot of people so, that you take advantage of those type of solutions very successfully. Correct me if I'm wrong. You can have all your presses aligned to G7. Uh, you're doing process control in all those places, but sometimes we miss that part that you've brought up that's extremely as important, which is how are we separating the files and are we applying color management the same way, right? Mm -hmm. The different profiles. Share with me your thoughts on profile creation and GCR and how they can affect different solutions when we, even though our presses are, if I print a, you know, a control strip or uh, a characterization chart, I can validate that they're within a spec like G seven color space. However, Mm -hmm. now I have two images that are definitely different visually. Talk a little bit about how the, the profile would affect that or possibly even the settings on the rip. That's a good one, too, because in the file, if you don't drill down into the file and know what the components are in the file, uh, either using some kind of pre-flighting uh, utility or, or actually going in and tearing the file apart to see what, you know, what's what, you can have multiple images that, have, that are separated in different color spaces. So you can have some RGB images. You can have Adobe RGB. You can have sRGB. You can have um, old U.S. web-coded swap. You could have Grackle. You could have whatever. And you could have Fogra 39 or, or 52 or whatever. In theory, if your RIP is set up properly and all the files are tagged with profiles so that the files can tell the RIP what color space they're in, then you could actually have something that kind of works all the way through. Right. But more often than not, people aren't tagging their files, so nobody knows. It's mystery meat. Nobody knows what, uh, <laughs> what, what really is in that file. You can, you can have uh, you know, various ways of dealing with that. Those are problems there. Uh, I've actually had situations where I've been in a shop where two people process their files completely differently. Uh, one would save out a PDF out of Illustrator as an example, just to use a program, and they would run it down to the RIP and as a PDF file, and then the other person would print out of Illustrator to the RIP, and it creates a PostScript file, yeah. which, which can be ha- handled completely differently by the RIP. Yeah. File. Oh, I know. Same exact file and two completely different outputs from the from the output device. So I always start. I always start with file creation and where the files are coming from. You know, from a standpoint of trying to get color uh, color consistent. Because if you don't start there, 
and you start at the at, at the printer end, you can go through all the hoops and the things that you need to do to get the printer accurate. You can do all the process control in the world that you want to do with, with those printing devices and saying, yep, that printer's printing the same this week, next week, and, and six months down the road. And then you get this file and you print it on two different devices and they don't look the same. Right. And yet you go, you go back to your process control sheets, you know, your, your reports and stuff and go, no, those, those machines are right on the money. It's a, a holistic approach to the whole thing. You can't just look at one aspect of it. You know, you can't fix it at the, at the back end without fixing it at the front end. So how do you teach a customer to validate? If I'm, again, engaging you to help solve some of my inconsistency problems, I'm going to tell you that, uh, hey, look, sometimes, you know, we get into situations where I don't know who to believe. Is it the press or is it the file? Is it the workflow? Uh, did they write, make the right PDF? All I want to know every day is whether or not I can find a way to determine whether it's the press. Okay. So mm-hmm. what do you say to that? Well, that's, a, uh, that, that's not as difficult as it seems, but you have to try to eliminate variables in the process. One, one of the areas that, that I look at is what are you actually uh, you know, validating or verifying? Example, if, if you have a control strip that's part of the RIP, let's say you're going out to Inkjet or whatever, and, 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 you, and you have the slug line that tells you what file it is and all that kind of stuff on it, it tells you that it's supposed to be for Grackle and whatever, just think proofing as an example. Mm-hmm. And, and it also has a, a control strip on it, like the Ideal Alliance 3 row or what have you. And that's being printed outside of the production workflow. It's the RIP workflow that's defining that. Because you're not you're not adding it to a job. You're not having that file go through the exact same steps that uh, that the uh, uh, that the actual job would go through. Right. So when I'm when I'm doing process control, I want to treat my control strip like my jobs. So would you print? They have to be the same. Do you give them I, a I, I, test form that has the, the the proper elements to do an evaluation of a press? Yeah. And if I'm doing it for a digital device instead of like an, when you're saying press, I'm, I'm press making printer. the assumption yeah. or making the leap that it's an offset press or something no, like that. No, no, no. When I say press, yeah. well, nowadays, you know, I, I just came from a company that designated their toner devices and their inkjet devices, and they call them presses. And, yeah, uh, no, I know. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah when, you're do, when you're dealing with the offset world, it's a little bit different because of the fact that everything has to go through the workflow to get on the, on the press sheet, right? Yeah, because it has, it has to be imposed plates. and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But when you're talking the digital side, you've got the ability on the digital side, uh, uh, less so in cut sheet because you're usually printing on the final sheet size or something that's slightly oversized so you can trim back for, for bleed or something. But the, but the um, most toner-based devices like, like inkjet and stuff, you have the opportunity to print a control strip on it. And if that, if that control strip is being placed on the sheet uh, via... Um, via the RIP exclusively, then that file did not go through the same process that the job file went through. I want to be measuring what the job is going to do. And I have seen in some circumstances where if you put the control strip on, let's say it's for the I1 to measure it, and then you put the, and then you actually create a job that has the same control strip in it, and you measure both of them, they actually both measure differently. Talking about 
um, the validation process or measuring and monitoring the accuracy once you've decided what your specifications are. So let's mm-hmm. just take a simple scenario. I need to have uh, a coded workflow uh, to validate and I need to have an uncoded because that's what I print on. Now I've got various different sheets and papers and conditions that fall into those buckets, but I have some, mm-hmm. some key conditions that I can nail down and put into a uh, routine you know, process control plan. So now what do you, how do you approach that uh, measurement and validation? You can talk about a, you know, weekly uh, routine or a daily routine or, or both, but what are the key metrics? Let's say I'm targeting uh, Grackle 2013 and mm-hmm. I, uh, on my uncoded, I'm, I'm, I'm targeting uh, Grackle uncoded or RPC three. So what are the things most useful that I need to be looking at when I'm putting a measurement process in to ensure quality alignment? From a, uh, uh, from a standpoint of, of how frequently you should be measuring, um, I, I go back to that whole same thing of, of driving with your eyes closed. How long can you close your eyes before you feel, feel a little nervous? While you're not measuring, the device is doing something. So what I like to do at the beginning, at the outset, is I talk to the people, especially the operators and stuff. Uh, we want to learn about your machine. We, we want to know what your machine is able to do and what it's not able to do and how consistent it can be over time. So what I try to do is I try to get uh, – it serves two purposes. I try to get them to oversample. And the, and the concept of oversampling means let's do it morning, noon, and night for a week. And if you've got multiple ships, go through the ships and stuff. And the whole idea there is if you, if you oversample, you get to see all the little nuances and, and idiosyncrasies of, the, of, of how that device behaves. How does it behave first thing in the morning when it's cold? How does it behave in, in the afternoon once it's been running for a while? How does it behave Monday morning versus all the rest of the week, you know, when it's been sitting all yeah. weekend long if, it, if, if you're not? You know. So the, the idea there is to get to understand how the device varies. And you can't do that by measuring once a week because there could be, you're, you're missing a whole lot of data. And that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to continue that rigorous measuring of let's measure more control strips that we actually print jobs through. That. You know what I'm right. saying? That would become, to, that would to become be, ridiculous. To begin. But, but, and there's but, a dual purpose, I think, as well doing it that way. And I totally agree with your approach because what it also does, it builds that, that muscle memory, that the, the, good, mm-hmm. the good habits – and it reinforces it by doing it over and over and over again. Right. Eventually, yeah, exactly. You, you, you picked up on right where I was going with that is that, is that the other part of it is you learn to use the tool and you start to build that, that memory response of, of, you know, that's your first tool that you're going to go for when you start to see problems. Mm-hmm. Oh, I better take a, do, a, do, a, do a measurement and test strip. Anyway, once we get that done, then we can go back and look at all the data and say, okay, we measured it for one week or two weeks or what, whatever over multiple shifts, maybe what have you. And we can say, look at the, look at the sine wave that's being produced because it's always going to come back as an up and down type of thing, and it's probably going to get, get going to be worse in some time versus other times. And we start to understand what the capability of the device is, and, and then we have to ask the question: If we don't like the variability of the device, there's a couple of things to do. Probably the worst one is just live with it because you bought it and it's an expensive piece of equipment.
equipment. The other one is, well, maybe it needs maintenance. Maybe it needs to be worked on. Let's get it, let's get it repaired and see if, or, you know, bring somebody in to take a look at it. And, and, and then the third one is, well, I'm not going to buy one of those. I'm going to buy something else. And when I go, go looking for something else, I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to want to measure a bunch of stuff right. to, to see how you, it actually is. You'll do your due diligence to determine the performance. So Bruce, you went through the brand Q training, correct? Yes. And Ideal Alliance's brand Q certification addresses process control, not just for print service providers, but as well for brand owners. So many brand owners uh, take the certification course and they're in there with, you know, a variety of different people from uh, different parts of supply chain and print manufacturing this is where we're taking this and it, it's talking directly to the brands and, and print buyers and stuff uh, because they need to learn this stuff. Uh, otherwise they're being led by the nose via their print vendors and the print vendors in instances are going to uh, do the best they can with what they have and the knowledge base they have uh, to try to make it easy for them to do the job as opposed to you know jump through the hoops that a brand might want them to jump through. The better brands are going to understand that if they if they understand the process and what's necessary in in that regard, and then of course if you get the, the the vendors involved in that process also, you wind up with the vendors and the brands talking on the same you know using the same same terminology and same talking the same language. Yeah. Uh, the likelihood is that you're going to have a better communication process than than one one leading the other one or one being um, upset because they didn't get what they expected from their from their print vendors. The the passion really for me is is driving people towards process control. I got hooked on working in the printing industry, uh, using process control techniques, trying to um, trying to standardize, st- trying to uh, reduce variables, and try to make it less creative from a standpoint of craft based. Where and, and when you do craft, like if you go to a craft fair or something, and you go and you look at pottery, and and you look at mugs from this one artist or something, no two mugs are going to look the same because that's part of the whole craft part of it. In the printing industry, that's not what printing's about. Customers want consistency. Customers want, uh, want uh, uh, you know, to pay a decent price for something as opposed to uh, paying a lot of money because it's a complicated process. And then the printer wants to be able to make money without having to jump through hoops. Uh, I learned a long time ago when I was talking to some creatives that you don't talk about color as a problem because they don't see color as a problem. So if you go, what kind of problems are you having with color? That's the wrong approach. It shuts them off right away. It says, well, we're not having any problems with color. Well, now where does the conversation go? If you're not having any problems with color. And so I, I've learned, I've learned to change the, the, the narrative and basically turn it around and say, hey, t- tell me what you go through, the steps you go through, how you're doing your color and stuff. More often than not, they'll open up and, and they'll talk to you about all problems they're having with color. And, and uh, you know, oh, we had to do this, we had to do that. But everybody thinks that that's what you just have to do. It's just part of the process. If you've got to go through five rounds of corrections and you have to jump through all kinds of hoops to get the color right, and you have to go through even more hoops to get the color right on five different devices, that's just what it takes to do the job. I love to see those, those situations and have them explain it to me because then I, then I come back with a very simple question. How would you like all that to go away? What? What do you mean? It's like, how would you like it that if every time you printed a job, it looked exactly the same as it was supposed to? And uh, every time you printed a job on five different devices, it 
you didn't have to worry about it, uh, you know, varying in color. I mean, not necessarily an easy task, depending on what you're trying to do. But at the same time, it's an eye opener and people really get excited about that. Uh, And it's not impossible to do. But then we go back to that whole culture change thing. And that culture really has to be something that gets ingrained and part of part of the organization. And I think that almost 100 percent of the time has to come from the top of the top of the chain. And we're going to embrace this wholeheartedly. And then you start developing the tools, the standard operating procedure books, and all the stuff that goes along with something like Six Sigma or ISO 9001. And and you build it into the culture of of the company. And I'm excited about that. The difficulty and the part that, that kind of, I don't know, sours me, I guess, is the fact that it's such a difficult sell. It's such an uphill battle. An amazingly uphill battle. I, you know, I mean, I, I developed spot on 11, 12 years ago now. Gosh, if I knew now, uh, if I knew then what I know now, hmm, I'd ask myself a few questions about jumping into that. But at the same time, uh, <laughs> if I had known that process control was going to be that difficult to do to get people to buy into, I don't know if I'd gone that route. Uh, I, I certainly, if it was easy to do, I'd be long retired and living on some desert island somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I embraced it. Every place I worked, I, I brought it with me. It was one of the things that I brought with my quiver, and wherever I had the opportunity, I'd push for it, and I would, I would ingrain it into the culture, even though I wasn't upper management uh, in any of these companies. It, the proof was in the pudding. We right. did things faster, with less errors, and at a, at a lower cost. There's so much good technology, like Spot On, for instance. How would you describe Spot On as a process control tool? Yeah, Spot On allows allows the user to both examine consistency over time and drill down with the data to determine what's actually changed so you can pinpoint what you need to fix. On that note, Bruce, I think we'll go ahead and close out this episode of the Gamut Podcast. And again, we so appreciate you spending your time with us and sharing your knowledge. And I hope to talk to you again soon. Take care. Thanks, sir. Thanks for listening to the Gamut Podcast. If you have ideas, suggestions, or would like to join us or even sponsor future podcasts, simply email me at jcollins at idealliance.org. That's J-C-O-L-L-I-N-S at idealliance.org. Take care and have a productive day. 